1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 12. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a beloved wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say th these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads, treads out with the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this right, rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, I have, made, have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We are continuing in our study of unity in the church from the book of 1 Corinthians. And there's a principle that we have seen over the last uh, few weeks that, okay, there it is. Um, it, it's a principle of I have the right to this, but I surrender that right. We talked about it when the instructions were there about um, why do you go to the court with cases against each, each other? Isn't there someone in the church that could be an arbiter in that to help you to be reconciled? And if not, it would be better to be defrauded. In other words, it would be better to just give up your rights to those things that you are owed for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. That is a theme that runs through this latter half of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. I'm free. Freed from the law, oh happy condition. Jesus had, has bled and there is remission. Now only the older people in the crowd will recognize the words from that hymn. But I'm free. Like Martin Luther King said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. We have been freed of our sins. We have been freed from the Old Testament law. We do not have a list of rules and regulations that we have to live by. We live by the grace of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Praise God for grace and for forgiveness and for mercy. But the principle is this, we are set free by Christ, but we make ourselves slaves to others, slaves to all. Because we've been freed, we want to see other people be free, and we voluntarily become bondservants of Christ so that we are free to be 
a servant, free to be a bond slave, a voluntary slave. Now, in talking about that concept of free to be a slave, Paul throws in um, a little extra teaching because he's talking about giving up rights, but he, he wants to teach us about the rights of the pastor. Um, the verses that you just heard Chris read, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, list his logic and his reasoning in talking about the rights of the pastor. He says, don't we have a right to food and drink? In other words, I've gotten accustomed to eating. And and so I need the pastor's pay. Uh, Don't we have the right to take a believing wife? I think Chris said beloving wife. And I thought, well, that's a good one. I like that. But it's a a believing wife uh, along with us as do the other apostles. You know, I am thankful for my family. And I am thankful for my wife. Brenda Rayburn has turned out to be an amazing pastor's wife. Now, you don't, somebody should have said amen to that, but nevertheless, you don't understand. For 20 years, after we left Africa and we were doing missionary training, John, she said to me, if you decide to pastor a church again, that's fine, but you're sure going to miss me. And yet, She and I both knew when this happened that this was a God thing. And she has been a fantastic pastor's wife. And I'm proud of her. And I thank the Lord that I am allowed to have a family. And the pastor too often has to live in a glass house with everyone throwing rocks at glass houses. The pastor lives in a glass house. I'm thankful that most of you understand that the pastor needs his family and needs some time with his family. I have a right to food and drink. I have a right to have a wife. And he talks about the Lord's brothers. Or is it I and Barnabas only who lack the right not to work for a living? The pastor should be able to have a living wage to be able to live, to eat, to have a life. Now, I need to say up front, I'm preaching all of this, not because you haven't done it, but because I'm preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and here I am in chapter 9, but I also realize some of you have been around a while, and you already know this, but you know that there are others, there are generations coming behind you that may have never been taught why you pay the pastor a salary. And, and here it is. I, I have a responsibility of teaching not only those who already know it, but those who have not yet recognized how church works. Now, I'll be honest with you. When, when you start talking about a living wage and, and wo- working and being paid full time, I have jokingly said, and it's not necessarily a joke, don't pay me what I'm worth. Because I can't live on that. But the pastor. Why do you pay the pastor's salary? Well, first of all, because of his office. Paul said, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? I don't have time to say everything I'd like to say about this. 
but there was some criticism of whether Paul was really an apostle or not. He wrote most of the second letter to the church uh, at Corinth to defend the fact that he was indeed an apostle. He was not of the twelve, but he was one chosen out of due season. And so he mentions it even in his first letter. You see in Acts chapter 1, it says, For one to be an apostle, he had to continue with them, beginning with the baptism of John. Well, that's not true of Paul. But he saw the Lord face to face and was blinded by his glory on the road to Damascus. Are, are not you yourselves my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal, you're the, the sign, you're the proof of my apostleship in the Lord. His position as apostle gave him the right to the expectation that his needs would be taken care of. I'll tell you something, though. If Paul made a mistake anywhere in his ministry, he made a mistake at Corinth because he did not teach them this principle while he was with them. He says in the second letter to the church, or the third, actually, we call it 2 Corinthians, he said in that letter, And and what were you inferior to all the other churches except that I took wages from other churches to do you service? Sandy, that means he did not teach them to pay the pastor's salary. And part of the reason he had to write to them later is because he was supported by the other churches. He worked as a tent maker in Corinth until Silas and Timothy came from Thessalonica and joined him in Corinth. Then he began to be able to work full time as an apostle, as a pastor, as a leader of that church. But he said in that second letter, he said, forgive me this wrong. Now some say, well, he said that sarcastically. Well, maybe so, but he was telling the truth. I don't ever forget Charles Ray Brooks. I think once a year, that little country church that he pastors out there in East Texas, once a year, he preaches the sermon from 2 Corinthians, forgive me this wrong. And the title of his sermon is, I don't want to have to apologize to you. And so he is continually preaching this concept. And he's talking about the rights of the pastor to be paid. Why? Because of his office, but also because of his labor. He, who serves as a soldier? He gives the example of a soldier at his own expense. We pay the soldiers wages and provide them with whatever they need. Can I step out of my position as pastor a minute and go back to being a missionary trainer and a church trainer about missions? Anytime a church wants to know how do we take care of our missionary and that we're sending out, what do we do for them? I tell them, think about him as a soldier in the Lord's army and compare that to the military of the United States. We don't make the general buy his own jeep. We, we don't make him pay for his own weapons. Listen, we want our soldiers, we're coming up on Veterans Day, we want our soldiers to have everything they need to protect us from the enemy. Amen? The same thing ought to be true with our missionaries. We ought to make sure that they have everything they need to get the job done. The example of a soldier. It's also the example 
of the vineyard. That if you plant a vineyard, you realize there is a really deep meaning here for Paul in Corinth. He is the church planter who planted that vineyard, that church in Corinth without eating of its fruit. The guy who plants the vineyard expects some of the fruit. He who tends a flock without getting some of the goat's milk. There's the example of a shepherd. There's also of the farmer. Whoever plows and threshes should be, that is, plows and harvest, should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. It's only right. But another reason. He's listing the reasons why he, as a preacher of the gospel, as an apostle and a missionary, why he had a right to the pay and to have his living provided. And the final reason is because of his preaching. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to harvest physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, I think he's probably talking about Apollos, I don't know, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported He is telling them, I have a right to be supported by you. He also said to the churches at Galatia, those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. That is a principle that needs to be taught. By the way, that principle needs to be taught by our missionaries. I feel very strongly about the concept of indigenous church planting that when a missionary goes and starts a church in a foreign land he teaches what I'm teaching here today he teaches that church to support him so that he's not always supported by other churches for the work that he's doing for them need you to understand something though how well a church cares for their pastor or missionary reflects on that church and their reputation. My grandfather was preacher in around the Tupelo, Mississippi, Mantachi, Guntown, Mississippi area uh, for most of his life, for better than 60 years. My, my grandfather, Papa Rayburn, uh, by the way, that's why I've always been Brother Lynn, uh, because Brother Rayburn, somebody says Brother Rayburn, and I look for my grandfather standing behind me, but he was Brother Rayburn. But Brother Rayburn was known as a quick wit. You could, people would try to get things over on him, and he always had a fast response. He was riding into town, riding into Fulton, there by the courthouse, one day on his horse. And some smart aleck was standing on the corner and shouted out to him, Brother Rayburn, that horse you're riding looks like he's in better shape than you are. Quick as a flash, Papa came back and said, that's because I feed my horse. My church takes care of me. (laughs) Ouch. How well a church takes care of her pastor and her missionaries reflects on the church and her reputation. I am grateful that you are a generous church. But I want you to understand when I'm gone. You say you're going somewhere? Eventually. Some of you will be glad and some of you will be sad. But eventually. 
And when I'm gone, I want you to understand the principle that your pastor needs to be supported. Your pastoral staff needs to be supported. And you need to take good care of them because that reflects on you. Then the point of all of this is the sacrifice of the minister. He talks about the rights of the pastor to receive pay and to, and to be taken good care of. But remember, this is about free to be a slave. I'm free, but I'm willing to give up my rights to sacrifice my rights in order to be a servant of the churches and the servant of you. If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But get this, this is the key idea in this whole section, chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians. We have never used this right. We had the right, but we gave it up. We sacrificed in order to be able to minister to you, we would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. I just realized I came really close to saying that Alabama style. Uh, Betty, that's an obstacle. It's, it's, it's not an obstacle, it's an obstacle. Sorry, I, I, some of you get that later. I give up my rights. Why would you do that, Paul? Why would a missionary do that? Why would anyone do that? Number one, for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was all about. Yeah, he had to make tents. Yes, he received support as a missionary from the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, from others. But he made the sacrifices he made for the sake of the gospel. Not only that, he gave up those rights for the sake of His calling. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And there is another verse that I forgot to put in there. He, that was His calling. He said, if I do it for whether I'm rewarded or not, there is a reward for me. He was called as an apostle. And on the basis of His calling, He was willing to give up His rights. That calling, Tim, became the, the primary emphasis, the prime goal, the main thing of his life. We say, keep the main thing the main thing. What is it that God has called you to do? How has He called you to serve? That needs to be the first thing, the most important thing in your life. You say, well, He's called me to be a father. He's called me to be a mother. Yes, uh, and to pastor that congregation that's in your house and make sure that they're brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But what has He called you to do in the church? I said a while ago, we desperately need people working with the children. Praise God for the young people and for the children in our congregation. But it's hard to get workers for them. And some of you need to ask God, would you have me do this? And you make that. Make your ministry in the church. You say, well, I don't get to attend my Sunday school class if I teach a class. Uh, folks, at some point, you need to quit being taught and start teaching others. 
And you need to think about, is that my calling? Is that my ministry from God? To sacrifice the comfort of sleeping in an extra hour. To sacrifice the time that it takes to prepare the lesson. Give up your freedom in order to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of our calling and for the sake of His reward. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, I know what it's like to run from God. God began to call me to preach the Word of God when I was 16 years old and I was 21 before I finally gave in. And I can tell you those were some miserable years. It's been my prayer and it's been my desire since becoming your pastor. Some young man would surrender to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ from this congregation. It's been my prayer and my desire that some young lady would surrender to be a missionary, whether single or married, on some foreign field. Hear the calling of God and obey it, understanding you're making a sacrifice in order to be a slave, a servant, a minister. But if I do it of my own will, I have a reward. Paul said, I've finished my course. I've run my race. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is a crown laid up for me, and not for me only, but for all who love His appearing. I'm running, even here in my old age. I thought I'd be retired by now. I didn't know I was going to start over at, at, at age 68. Um, But I've got to finish my course. I've got to do what God wants me to do. And I know that there is still a reward. And with all my heart, Keith, I want to hear my Savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Forget the crown. Let me hear that. Let me hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the other reason he's willing to do this, understand we're talking about motives. Motivation for giving up your rights. I'd rather, but I will. Giving up your rights in order to serve God, in order to serve others. And you do it for the sake of lost souls. Paul has a long section where he talks about, I made all things to all men that I might by, by all means save some. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them for the sake of souls. You know, I can just picture the Apostle Paul penning this letter, thinking about the people at Corinth. Pam, he had won many of those who were there to the Lord himself. Apollos had obviously come in and the church had grown. But Paul could picture the faces of people who had been lost without Christ, who he had had the, the marvelous privilege of winning to salvation. Why do you make that sacrifice? For the sake of lost souls. Those lost souls may be someone in your own house. Parents, think about your children. Yeah, you could have been doing something else today instead of being in church. But that young man, that young lady who's here in the congregation with you, 
They need the Lord. And it is a small price to pay for you to give up your freedom, give up your day of rest, give up what you wanted to do to be here and to get yourself and your children under the sound of the preaching of the Word of God. I will sacrifice for the souls of men. What are you willing to pay for the souls of men? What sacrifice are you willing to make for the souls of men? Jesus left heaven for us. What was He willing to pay? He was willing to step out of heaven, to take on flesh, to stretch out His arms on cross, and die. He did that. Did He have to? No. He made a willing sacrifice so that we could be saved. What then are we willing to sacrifice in order to bring lost souls to Jesus Christ? Well then, finally, the third point in this chapter 9 is the self-discipline of the preacher. We've talked about his rights. We've talked about how he gives up his rights in order to be a minister, in order to win people to Christ. But that also requires some self-discipline, some self-sacrifice, some self-control on his part. He, he gives an example. He says, like a runner who runs for a crown. Now that crown he's talking about was the olive leaf crown that we know from the Olympics. Uh, there were other games that were played at Corinth that were bigger in that day. Like a runner who's serious about his running. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? All the participants run, but only one person gets the prize. So run so as to win. Be serious about your service. Be serious about your ministry. Be serious about what God has called you to do. I keep talking about our ministry to children. We need people who will be serious and seriously committed to that ministry. Who will be there. Not when they're sick, but just about any time they're not. Who are willing to give up in order to give. Running the race. By the way, the goal in running a race is to win. It's not just to finish the race. I'm afraid there, there are a lot of Christians who are running just to say, I finished the race. Paul said, I have finished my race and there's a crown laid up for me. Paul was a winner. You want to run in a serious way, running toward the prize. He talks about athletes who are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. I love this. But we do it for an eternal prize. You, you're not just agreeing to teach that class to please me. If that's the case... I started to say, don't do it. No, do it anyway. But what you ought to do is do it to please God. Do it to please God. Run seriously 
run to win. And it's an eternal prize that you receive. Not only as a runner, but he uses the example of a boxer who hits his mark. He said, I do not box as one beating the air. He, somebody, one of the translators, uh, sort of a loose translation said, I don't shadow box. You, you know what that means, shadow boxing. You, you're boxing for all you're worth and you're hitting nothing. Um, I got to admit there have been times in my ministry that I felt like I was shadow boxing and not hitting anything. And that's frustrating. I, th- I think we have to learn what the real object is. What is our goal? What is our primary mission? How will we fulfill our goal? We don't want to waste effort. We want to be effective. I want to be an effective pastor for you. I don't want to fight over things that are not worth fighting for. I don't want to have goals that are unachievable just for the sake of having a goal. I want God's goals to be our goals. And I want to hit the mark for the glory of God. No shadow boxing. To the glory of God. I do not box as one beating the air. Like a preacher who lives out his own message. He says, I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Jacob, that word disqualified means a broken pot. You take a clay pot. It's got a crack in it. It's broken at the bottom. So it can't it won't hold anything. If I'm not careful in my own life, if you're not careful in your life, we will claim faith that we do not live out. Didn't Jesus say about the Pharisees, do what the Pharisees say, but don't do what they do? Because they do not do what they themselves say. Are you living out your testimony? Are you living out loud the things that you claim? Do you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you? Do you live it and not just say it? People say talk is cheap. Show me you mean what you say. That's true of the preacher, and that's true of everybody in the, in the pew. We need to live out the message that we're teaching and that we're preaching. Live out the faith that we're claiming. Our damaged testimony, our damaged reputation, our lack of self-control, self-control may be the very thing that keeps someone else from being saved that's convicting are you claiming your rights are you willing to serve God are you willing to surrender all that you have and all that you can be for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the sake of your church for the sake of lost souls are you willing to say I surrender. Lord, I surrender my life to you. 
I surrender everything I have to you. I'll do what you want me to do. I surrender all. I ask Roger to play that as the invitation today. Because I think that there, there comes a time when we have to realize that we've just sort of been playing around. We're not really serious about our commitment to God. Listen, if you've never been saved, you've heard in this message that Jesus loved you and He died so that you could be saved. He surrendered, Carl, everything. He gave it all up, gave up His life on a cross so that we could be saved. That means you. We baptized two this morning who by getting in that baptistry and being immersed, picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, gave a pictorial testimony of their faith in God, saying, I have trusted Christ and I'm saved. Wouldn't you like to have that testimony? If you're here and you're lost, you can be saved today. Here and in this place, you can come to Jesus Christ in faith and have your sins washed away. Not in the waters of baptism, but in the blood of Jesus Christ. Come and be saved today.